Welcome to the Sunday message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 10.30 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. Thank you for joining us. And now, here's this week's message from Hollyview Church, as Pastor Joel preaches from Genesis chapter 2 with a message entitled, Eden. Welcome, I'm Pastor Joel. It's nice to have you here this morning. We're going to begin this morning by reading from page two of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible uh, in front of you, and that's a gift to you. If you don't have one, take it home. Uh, if you do have a Bible, great. We're going to be Genesis 2, and I'd like to begin by reading uh, just two verses, uh, verse 7 and verse 8. And if you wouldn't mind, it would stand if you're able to once again. They've been doing this for thousands of years as we read God's Word. Genesis 2, verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. God forms a man, breathes into him the breath of life, and then plants this garden of Eden. It's, Eden is the Hebrew word meaning delight. God plants this garden of delight and places the man in delight. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word this morning, we need that picture of delight. We need to know you better. Help us navigate this uh, broken world. Lord, give it meaning and purpose. Give us uh, community with one another that's uh, unifying so that we can delight in the world that you have made for each of us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may have a seat. Uh, a man that's formed, that's placed in a garden of delight. Uh, the Westminster Catechism, it sums it up with this question. What is the chief end of man or humanity? What's the chief end of humanity? And then they, the response is this. The church would respond back. The chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Uh, basically, the sum of that is to live in delight. Now, before we get to our text, I want to set it up by telling you uh, a story of delight that we had for a week in August. Uh, it was our 20th anniversary, and Amy and I saved up money and decided to risk all the things of airlines and everything and go to one of the Hawaiian islands of Kauai. Has anyone been to Kauai? Oh, so you know exactly what I'm talking about then. Uh, we went to Kauai and it was not long before we found our paradise. Uh, we right were near Poipu Beach. Uh, there is a little beach called Brennikes Beach. Any, anyone been to Brennikes Beach? <sighs> we got boogie boards or bodyboards or whatever, and every night we would go out there and we would swim. Uh, Abigail would be swimming with the turtles <laughs> that were like huge, uh, 74 degrees, sun setting, palm trees. It was awesome. Every night we would go and do that. Just, we, we just delighted in it. I mean, it was so much fun 
to do that. I, I was so tired at the end of it, though, and I realized I'm getting older, and some of those waves were pretty big, and it slammed down, but I was just having so much fun. Uh, and then as soon as it would get dark and we couldn't see anymore, we'd pack up and we'd go back to our condo. We'd take showers and put our pajamas on, get really, like we just ex exerted ourselves really big. And we had this food at the condo and we'd be watching a movie and eating uh, some different food and just relaxing with our family. Uh, and I don't know if it was too, we were too tired maybe or something. We didn't have any fights. <laughs> uh, no squabbling. We all just... Uh, just enjoyed it. It was like what we were doing and who we were with, we were just delighting in. Have you ever been to a place like that? A place that you delight in with people you delight in and you're like, man, this is, this is how we're supposed to live. Well, besides uh, in Kauai, besides the expense of everything, oh my goodness, uh, that's not how we're supposed to live. <laughs> well, <laughs> a little... Uh, a little of that delight that we experienced for that week over in Kauai is what I imagine Adam to have fully experienced in the Garden of Delight. Uh, we're going to see today that God has designed us as humanity to live in delight, in Eden. And, and you might be thinking here this morning, yeah, but with my marriage right now, or my job situation, my careers, what, what I'm dealing with with my, with my kids, or this COVID stress of my business, I don't find much delight. Where do I find delight? Well, that brings us back to our text today in Genesis 2. We're going to come to a very well-known text. Uh, if you've been in the church, I'm sure you this is... You know it very well. Even if you haven't been to the church, you've seen vision, like pictures of this in movies or something. This very well-known text. And once again, we're going to come at it with some experiences and assumptions and things we wanted to answer that we're not going to be able to answer for you this morning. There's so much here in Genesis 2 that we're just going to get the tip of the iceberg uh, and, and so you might find yourself trying to figure out something along the way, or you hear something like, ah, and there's an issue. Uh, I just want you to totally explore that, but just put it in the side and just come with me on the journey this morning. I, I want you to come humbly uh, and see what the Lord has for you this morning. Well, last week we saw, if you were here, we saw this cosmic view of God uh, forming and filling a formless and empty world. Uh, it, it, it's like we were taken up on the clouds and flying over as we were watching God in his creative, almighty acts, designing and forming the, the world uh, and, and flying over it. And in our background is this song that's being played, the song of uh, creation. I imagine it like, if you've ever seen a Disney movie, the very first, before the, before the story starts, there's always this scene where there's this music that's going on and you're like over the castle or, or the the house, and you're seeing the little characters doing whatever they're, they're doing, and it's kind of building the, the characters a, a little bit uh, until the narrator speaks and then brings you down into the story, and then you follow along in the story. And that's where we're at today. The song is fading from the song of creation in Genesis 1, and today we're going to enter the story of creation. The narrator's voice will begin to speak as the song fades away, and it's going to invite all of you in. Come Let's, let's journey along in this, this story. So we're going to hear the narrator's voice in Genesis 2 and, and verse 4. If you have your Bibles, Genesis 2, verse 4. 
As the song of creation fades away, the narrator's voice says, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they, were, when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Uh, that little line, these are the generations of, if you see it in your Bibles, uh, is a very particular word uh, in Hebrew. It means the births of, uh, and it's, a, it's really a title that's going to be used 10 times throughout the book of Genesis. It, it serves as like a, a header or, or a title. Here's the generations of this. This is the storyline of this. And then the next chapter comes. These are the, the, this is the book of the generations of Adam. And then it'll be the book of the generations or the generations of Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Esau. Uh, all of them as we go along in this story. But, but we're coming to the very first one. It's the beginning, the title of the, the story. Now, last week we compared uh, Genesis 1 with the forming and filling of the dad who's in a, in a living room as he's creating a fort for his kids. He's forming it, and then he's filling it with good things. Uh, and, and it's like kind of a, a flyover as we see this dad working on this fort uh, and now uh, the kid has entered the fort, and on day seven, I said the dad has really entered the, f- the fort, and we've been focusing on the dad, and now it's like the camera is going to, to fade over, and we're going to look at the child a little more. The, the attention is drawn a little bit more uh, to the child. I'll begin to follow them. There's a transition that's, that's happening here in 2-4. Um, Genesis 2, it, it moves... Uh, from what in Genesis 1 we had from the heavens and the earth flying over in the clouds to, uh, as you see, it moves from to the earth to heaven. It moves from flying to walking on the ground. The narrator flips it. He's created the heavens and the earth in Genesis 1, this flyover of from heaven down to earth. And now in Genesis 2, he's made, he's fashioned, he's, he's manufacturing or putting together the earth, looking up at the heavens, the heavens and the earth. He, he's, he's flipped it. He's made something for humanity. So the question is, what has he made for humanity? And in this next chapter 2, there's no end to discovery of what it is, of who God is and who he's made humans to be. But I only have... Uh, I only have your attention for like 25 minutes, so I'm going to tell you two of them and two themes. So there's going to be two things I want to show you what he's made for us for as humanity for. Number one is this. He's made us to delight in our calling. He's made us to delight in our work, but even more our calling, what we're to do here. And the second thing we're going to see is he's made us to delight in our community. He's made us to delight in our calling, our work, and, and who we do that work with, our community that's around us. And he does this in some very uh, powerful and, and uh, poetic ways that bring us in to the story. So let's look at the first one. And he's made us to delight in our calling. Verse 5. You can follow along. When no bush of the field had yet, uh, was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field was yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Now, pause just right there for a second. That word mist is actually could be spring. It's only used here, no other place. A, a spring or a little bubbling. I see like little water bubbling up from the thing, uh, from the ground. Verse 7, And then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. 
And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden, in delight, in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed out around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bdellium and onyx stone are there. In case you might need to know those later for the, the priest's uh, medals that they have on their, uh, their vest. Uh, verse 13. The name of the second river is the Gihon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is the Tigris, which flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Let's stop right there. God forms a man from the dust of the ground, breathes into him the breath of life. He, he plants a garden in Eden in delight for this man. And there he identifies two trees in the middle of the garden, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He, he places man in this garden of delight, and then he gives him a job to do. Verse 15, it, it says, he puts him in this garden and gives him work to do. He, he says, I want you to work it and keep it. But I want you to work and keep in this garden of delight. Now, when we look back and we think of work, we think it's hard. We think it's exhausting. It's something we have to do. We have to get up. We have to provide uh, for our family. But this work and keep is actually before the fall. We're not in Genesis 3 yet. This work and keep is is something uh, different than what we might actually uh, be expecting or thinking about. This work is like when you get up in the morning and you can't wait to get to it. Uh, for some of you, fishing. You get to wake up, and so you wake up at 3 in the morning because you've got to go fishing. Uh, for others of you, it might be uh, hunting or, or shopping at a big deal on a Black Friday. It's something you're eager to do, and you wake up, and you just want to get after it. Well, I want to show you two things about how God has made us then to delight in this work or our calling uh, from this text. Uh, the first thing, how we can delight in this, in this calling, is that what God has given us to do is, is super meaningful. It's deeply significant. In fact, the work God has for us to do has eternal consequences. And it's completely fulfilling. Uh, I, I imagine that like, um, after I'm done on a Saturday cleaning up my yard, trimming everything, getting the grass all green, like everything is there, and I step back and go, oh, that looks good. Uh, I've done it. Maybe for you kids, like you're supposed to clean your room and it's a, it's kind of a chore or a drag. But once you get it clean, you're like, oh, look at everything's in the right place. Now just imagine that there would never be any thorns or bushes or anything that would go out of growth. You just, you've made it and it is completely fulfilled. Uh, that's what I feel like the meaningful work of like you're doing this, but it's going to be for uh, eternal consequences. You're to work it and to keep it. Work it and to keep it. Now, those are, we have very general terms for work and keep. Uh, work it and keep it. This is actually the two words that describe the work of the priest in the book of Numbers. To work it. They're to be in the temple and they're to work it 
and keep it. Only there in Numbers 13 and 14, they don't translate it, work it and keep it. They translate it, you are to worship and obey. God has set up Adam in this garden of delight to be like a priest, to worship, to respond to the goodness that he has and go, this is awesome. Uh, to, to obey the Lord, but in the good things, he's to respond and enjoy. This isn't, this isn't a nine-to-five job Monday through Friday for Adam. When it says work it and to keep it, this is a calling for Adam. It's something, something much deeper. Uh, the Puritans had this idea of uh, your work is your calling. They said whatever work you do is what God has called you to do. When we were in Slovenia, you would, uh, you would, when you asked the phrase, well, like, what would you do? What do you do for a living? Uh, you'd say, kai tvoj poklitz. But the word poklitz actually means calling, like after call. You'd say, what is your calling? And we translate it, what do you do for work? What do you do for a living? What do you, what do you get paid for? Now, your work is something you get paid for, at least in English. And your, your calling, though, is something you don't have to get paid for. It's something you, you delight in, that you, you just want to do. God's given Adam this meaningful, life-giving work as a, a priest. When we think of a priest, what are they supposed to do? Well, they pray, they sacrifice, they, they partner with the Lord, they, they serve as a representative to other people. It, it's, it's huge. They get to partner with the Lord in the work that he's done. We even see this in... Uh, Adam, we'll see it in just, uh, just another couple of verses. As God says, what do you want to name the animals? He's partnering with the Lord. Can you imagine that you get to get up and uh, partner with the Lord? It's like Adam wakes up and goes, oh, what's today, Lord? I, the God of creation is partnering with me, and I get to be a representative of him to the creation. See, a job is what you get paid to do. A calling is what you delight to do. Uh, a teacher you get paid to be a teacher, right? But your calling is to love those kids. And that's why your heart just bleeds when all this stuff happens. Because you're delighting in your calling of what you want to, to do. It's not, just your, it's not just your job or your work. You might be paid to run a business, but you're really called to encourage and walk alongside to equip other people. You might be, you might be called to build something, or you might be like paid to build something as your work, but really what you're called to do is you're called to walk alongside and hurt and help broken, hurting people. You're, you're called to worship the Lord and enjoy Him forever. So the difference between work and, and working and, and calling, at least in, in our culture here, uh, you may not like your work, but you can still fulfill your calling. Uh, you may not like what you do on nine to five, but that doesn't actually have to impact your, your calling of what God's calling you to do. So the big question then is not what do you do for a living? The question we should be asking each other is what's your calling? What, what is it that when you get up in the morning, you just can't help but do, whether they paid you or, or not? And then whatever that is, it, it can be part of the work that you do. But if you want to delight in the work you do, be doing it with the calling of what God's had for you. What's your, what's your calling? If you know your, your calling, you can find your delight in your work. 
So the first thing is that the work that God gave to Adam was super meaningful as a priest in the garden. And the second thing was that it was missional. It was missional. Uh, this, this calling that he gave him wasn't just for himself and wasn't about Adam. It was actually to spill out to others. Uh, now, did you notice when we read that thing, the amount of space it gave to these rivers? <laughs> and what are we supposed to do with these rivers? Uh, there is by far more about this one river that flows uh, from Eden, waters the garden, goes out of Eden, and breaks into four things, and then gives us all these information about these rivers. Now, a lot of people try to like geographically find where uh, this place is, uh, which is super hard to do because I don't think this is talking as much geography as it is a, a meaning and, and this mission of, of what God is placing in them. So, so get this. Picture this with me. Those four rivers are associated with four different areas in the Bible. Uh, one of them is the land of the west in Canaan. Uh, one of them is it's just east of Assyria, so that's north in Assyria. Uh, one of them is Cush, which is really down towards Ethiopia and Egypt in the south. And the other one is towards Babylon in the west. So you have this one river flowing out of Eden and then into the like, watering the garden, then out of the garden, and then it divides into four areas. And those, that river then goes for the north, the south, the east, and the west. So uh, what this river has to start where? <laughs> On like a really high peak. It's almost like we're on top of a mountain as this river flows out and then goes to these four areas. And these four areas are associated with the future of Israel. They'll be led off into exile. They'll be banished into Assyria. They'll go down to Egypt for food. And I, I think the picture of what we're, we're seeing here is it starts at the, the tree of life and the garden of delight. And then this water spills out everywhere as they read this story for generation after generation, they're, they're going to see it a bit as prophetic. That no matter how far away from the tree of life and the garden of delight they've gone, they know their way back. They know how to get back there. there there's a river that they can follow that serves as a guide, which means that the invitation to come to the tree of life is on, on hand for Egyptians, Assyrians, Babylonians, everyone. So as this priest in the garden, uh, there to welcome and invite people in to the garden of delight, welcome and invite people into the tree of life where they're at. And then if they have walked far away from it, they've lived in rebellion for a generation or two or 400 years, all they have to do is turn and begin to walk back. And they know the way. They know where the tree of life will be. The offer of the tree of life then is like spilling out like a river to everyone. You see, for Adam, there's a, in his, he can delight in this calling because it's meaningful and it's missional. It's this life-giving work to other people. The second thing is that we don't have to do it alone. He, he's not only made us to delight in our calling, but he's made us to delight in the community around us. Look in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out, of the uh, now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what uh, he would call them. And whatever the man called the, every living creature, that was its name. 
The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. They had a feeling of being totally known and knowing and being accepted, unashamed. That someone would know you exactly who you are and there wouldn't be any shame or hiding. You know, God has made us to live in delight and community. I want to point out two things in this as well. Two things about how God has made us to delight in community. And the first one's this. There's a uniqueness that we can delight in. The uniqueness of, of others. He, he tells Adam, it's not good that man's alone. He's missing something. There's something that it's not good in all of creation. First time. This is good. This is good. This is good. This is very good. This is not good. It's not good that man is alone. And so he causes a deep sleep to fall on Adam. Now, automatically in your minds, my guess is it was probably like me, a deep sleep, and he's like, okay, he's about to have surgery on him. Uh, But uh, anesthesia, if you know any medical history, the first time anesthesia is used, 1850. So for thousands of years, when they think deep sleep fallen Adam, we're not thinking, oh, they're obviously using anesthesia. No, if you understood this biblically from the storyline, you would see this line several other places in the Torah. And every time this deep sleep is used, it's right before a visionary, visionary uh, a vision is given to someone. Uh, Abraham in the covenant, when the animals are split, he, God calls a deep sleep to fall on him, and he gives him this vision of the cut animals that only God walks through. Well, when Jacob goes to sleep on that rock, do you remember that story from Sunday school? It says a deep sleep fell on Jacob, and he was given this dream. So we're supposed to think that Adam, this deep sleep that comes on him, he's about to see this vision. God is giving him a, a picture of something. And so God takes a rib, and this is not this another like... Throw, okay, I'll just throw it in there. This rib in Hebrew, it's all over the place, and it's all in the temple and the ark, and it means side. Uh, it means side of something. So when you had the, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, you were supposed to make these golden rings on each side that were to carry the, the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, a side. So, so we have this picture of Adam. Okay, he's put this deep sleep. He's going to get this vision, and God takes like this one whole human and like, cuts it in half, and so it's like half a side, and he takes that half and he shapes it, and then he uh, wakes Adam up, and he brings the other half of what Adam was missing as he's looking at all the animals. Where is my half? There's something missing. I'm missing something. And he brings the woman to him, and he goes, this is what I've been looking for. He brings the woman to Adam and he delights in her. Do you get that feeling? Ah, oh, this is it. 
This is what I've been looking for. This is what I've been missing. And it's not the things that are the same as him that he's been missing. It's the things that are different than him. The uniqueness of this woman and how he would fit with the man that would be like, that's what he delights in. It's the uniqueness of others and the realization that I need you. There's something that I'm missing that I need in you. And I think we've lost that in our culture and our society. We've lost the celebration of the uniqueness of someone else because we look at someone and say, oh yeah, uh, we judge them. You're not as good as me at this. You're not this. You're not this. Uh, you couldn't do this. I, I think some of it, we, we, we put people down. We exclude them. We don't want people to come near. And a lot of that is because I think we know we're missing something. We know there's something not whole in us that we don't want other people to know. So we, pre- we pretend to be enough. And we push people away. And the very thing that God's created for our delight and the uniqueness of others, we, we don't get. The difference is we have in other people are actually what we, we need from other people. Uh, God's calls us to delight in this uniqueness of other people, but not just the uniqueness that we're different and that we need that, but also the unity. That's number two. Second thing God has made us for delight and community is the unity that we can have with each other. God takes these two completely unique individuals and brings them together, and it says they become one. This work of God that brings two unique things and brings them uh, together, there is a unity in diversity, and it's delightful. Together and different, fully known, fully accepted, and celebrated for how God has created them. I think that community has to offer grace, uh, humility. It has to offer your skills or your heart to someone uh, else for the benefit of someone else. Uh, And it's kind of a scary thing to do because when we come and somebody has something that you need, it points out what you don't have. And we like to be enough. Well, God has made us to delight in this calling in this community. And really the point of it, the whole thing, is that this delight, if you think about someone who delights in something, it just spills out of you, right? It's not self-centered. It's not, look at me. It's like a river that spills out. God brings this unique other to Adam, and his, his response is the picture that I have. It, it, it's, you're here. I've been looking for you. You have exactly what I need. I am so glad you're here because you're different and unique than me. And what, we, what I have, you need. And what you have, I need. It's the celebration. He doesn't go to her and go, you know, I'm stronger than you. You know, I've been here a little bit longer than you. You know, I'm probably smarter than you. I know more things than you. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He doesn't say, hey, you're missing some body parts. He doesn't do any of that. He says, wow, this is what I was... It's the person who walks in the room and goes, you're here. I'm so glad you're here. I've been waiting. I've been waiting for you. I am so glad you are here. Not the person that walks in the room and goes, I'm here. Look at me. It's the person that walks in and, and, and delights and the uniqueness, the, the community that he has and the calling that God has on his life to be a priest and to encourage and, and just pour his life into other people. We see Adam. He delighted in his calling. He woke up eager to partner with the Lord. 
It's meaningful, life-giving work, his calling. So what's your calling today? What is that thing that God's calling you to do? It doesn't matter what your work is. What's he calling you to do? Adam woke up and he delighted in community. He embraced this unique other that complimented him, completed him. He says, you're incredible because you're different than me. So I think as we end here, we'll have the worship team come back up in just a minute. I think the question for all of us is, are we finding delight in our calling in our community? And I know it's been hard. Uh, it's been hard these last couple years. But if we know if we're delighting in something, isn't that we just have a pasted smile on our face all the time? But it's, that, it's like it's pouring out like a river to other people. Delight pours out. It's focused on the Lord and not others. Uh, so if you're, if you're here this morning, you're feeling like, man, I think I'm missing something then the answer is probably, yes, you are. And the recognition of what you do with that then uh, is one, come to the Lord. Lord, I need you. What do you have for me in my life? What are you calling me to do? And the second thing is, is coming around people that are different than you, unique than you. Um, I think that's the, that's the awesomeness of uh, especially a small church like this is that we don't send the kids off to go do their thing and the older people uh, to do their thing and uh, everyone. And we don't just separate all that. We're all together. And the strength and the delight that we can have in that, uh, as Dean talks to our, our kids and they know he cares for them, like that's delight in that community, that otherness, that uniqueness that we have. So coming this week, even as you go to work or school, and somebody is completely different than you, rather than go, up, oh, go, I'm so glad you're here because you have something that I might need. Uh, I'm not just talking like male and female. I'm talking everyone. Uh, the things that Dale brings or Mark brings to me is different than what I have, and I need them. And I can delight in that, that community. The other thing I would, um, this is a point of uh, action, uh, if you're feeling like, man, I want to delight in all that stuff too, uh, then I would suggest take the courage to step forward and get in community. Uh, be involved with people that maybe are a little bit different than you or think a little bit different than you. Uh, we have a Tuesday evening Bible study with the women, which is fantastic. Uh, and there you'll be able to open your heart up a little bit to some other ladies. Uh, Tuesday morning in the men's, we're a little bit sleepier, but we're, we kind of do the same thing in the men kind of way. Uh, there's small groups happening. There's ministry things happening. That little sheet that, uh, that we have in the back, if you're like, I want to get plugged in. I want to start in this community. I know I'm missing something, uh, and I just want to be around this community and hear God's call for my life. Uh, I'd be more than happy to talk to you, pray about it, but take that step forward because that's where we find delight is when we follow the Lord. Let me pray, and we'll invite the worship team to come back up. Lord, thank you for the picture of Genesis 2. Thank you as we enter this story that you have made us to be creatures of delight. And Lord, so often the fog comes in, the sin, the brokenness of this world, and we're left wondering, where, what do you have for me? Where should I go? What should I do? And Lord, thanks for the reminder as we come to Genesis 2 again that you've made us to delight in our calling. You've given us work to do that's meaningful that's eternally impacting as, 
as priests who can represent you, who can pray for other people, who can pour out our lives to people, who can bring people uh, to you, Lord, and that can point out there's redemption and healing and forgiveness in relationship with you. And Lord, that we can live in community, even it's not the sameness all over the place, but that we can grow and delight in people uh, who are made in your image that may think differently than us even, but that we can uh, come together and encourage and challenge and shape each other in community. And so Lord, I pray now as we uh, worship back to you that we would do the things that you've originally intended us for, for us to do, to just enjoy you to be worshipers and obeyers of you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us for this message from Hollyview Church. We invite you to join us in person for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon. Or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Together, we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Again, whether online or in person, thank you for joining us here at Hollyview Church.